All right, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey Shiraishi. I've been at the Hallows for about um, eight years now. Yeah, about eight years. Wow. All right, so today is a special day in the life of the church. And I don't mean the Hallows Church, I mean uh, the church at large. Because uh, today is Palm Sunday. Right? And today we remember how Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, as uh, Jake's kind of been pointing out for the whole service so far. Right? And as he did, he fulfilled that prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that we read earlier about the arrival of the city's humble king. And the crowds praised him as he entered, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And by Friday, just coming up, uh, Jesus willingly submitted himself to a horrifying and humiliating death on our behalf. But the story doesn't end there, because next Sunday, which is Easter, right, and we'll celebrate, celebrate Jesus' triumphant victory over death, right, being raised to new life and exalted to rule and reign over all of creation. And so Paul, when he's reflecting on this uh, in Philippians 2, he records uh, what was likely an early hymn in the church, right? And it describes the events of this week as an ultimate act of humility that results in an ultimate exaltation. So we'll read from Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so today we're remembering Jesus' humble entrance, right, which led to his humiliating death. And it ends in his resurrection and exaltation. And it's fitting, in light of all that, that the passage, our passage from Luke today, is also going to focus on humility. Right? So to remind, you, to remind us all of the context of where we're at, we're in the middle of a three-part uh, segment. Um, last week, Jake read the first part, where Jesus is eating with one of the leading Pharisees on a Sabbath. Right? And Jesus healed a man who was there. And then he silenced the Pharisees, who didn't really like it when Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Right? And in that section, there's this little detail that the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. But in today's passage, the tables are turned, because it starts with Jesus observing the Pharisees. And so he's going to tell some parables about table manners and how to throw banquets. Um, and then in the next section, for next week, which goes until verse 24, Jesus is going to tell another parable. Right? And that parable is all about a banquet and the kingdom of God. Right? And so you can see that each of these sections is connected. Right? It's all happening at this one banquet with the Pharisees, and they're all talking about banquets in various ways. Right? So with that little bit of background, just to kind of set the stage, uh, let's, let's read our passage for the day. Luke 14, 7 to 14. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. 
When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher, then uh, you will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All right, let's pray for a sec. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us through this passage? Um, as we remember what you did on this holy week, Lord, we pray that you, would, that you would move us by your spirit to live holy lives like you did. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so right away, you can see there's, there's two halves uh, to our passage today. Right? First, he addresses the guests, and then he addresses the host. Right? And both sections are roughly following the same pattern. So Jesus addresses the group, and then he says, in this situation related to a banquet, they shouldn't do X. Instead, they should do Y because of some reason. Right? And when you see this type of parallelism, right, it's an invitation for us as readers right, to think more about how these halves are related. Right? And so kind of the structure of you know, the next half hour of our lives, uh, we're going to look at the first half, and then we're going to look at the second half, and then kind of some themes. Right? Huh. So um, yeah, first half. Uh, Jesus, this is the parable to the guests. So Jesus sees that the guests are aiming to get the best seats, right? And he tells them to do the reverse of that, to actually take the lowest seats. And what's interesting about Jesus' advice is he's not telling them something new. Um, so if you read Proverbs uh, 25, 6 to 7, there's really similar advice. Don't boast about yourself before the king. Don't stand in the place of the great, for it's better for him to say to you, come up here, than to demote you in the plain view of a noble. Right? And so while that proverb is taking place in a court scene, right, a royal court, here Jesus is taking the same principle and he's putting it in a wedding banquet. But it's the same advice, right? It's better to get elevated by the host than it is to get humiliated by the host. And maybe all of this stuff about seating arrangements and like where to stand, you know, it doesn't mean much to us, right? For instance, at our potlucks downstairs, we don't have seating charts. We don't have a head table, so it kind of doesn't matter where you sit, right? But if you remember, last week, uh, Jake, he talked about Greco-Roman culture, you know, which the Jews at this time, they were a part of, right? It's an honor-shame culture, okay? And there, honor, it's, it's about as important as your life, right? And to get publicly shamed is about as bad as death, right? And so when you, you know, in that, that kind of culture, the cross wasn't just a horrible punishment because you died, or because it was excruciatingly painful, it's also because it was shameful, right? You were publicly displayed kind of as this 
lowly criminal being put to death. Um, so in that culture, right, seats, honor, right, that is a, a lot bigger deal to them than it is to us. Um, and what is it that Jesus has to say in this situation? Does he tell people to be fully egalitarian, right? Abolish the hierarchies, everyone is exactly the same, we're all on the same level. No, that's actually not what he says, right? Because later when Jesus walks into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right, today, right, the crowd praises him, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, right? They're, they're honoring him, they're giving him glory, right? And then when the Pharisees complained about him getting glory, he says, if these people were to, to keep silent, then the stones would cry out, right? And you might say, like, well, yeah, Jesus is God, though, so it's kind of different, like, you know. But back in our passage, he doesn't say that all the seats are equally honorable, right? Instead, he focuses on how you get honor, right? So getting honor can be fine, but Jesus is focused on how and when you get honor, right? And that, you know, focusing on, on that question takes us to the key, key verse of our parable, right? 14 verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted, Right, so take the lowest place, and the host raises you up to a higher place. Right? This is tapping into a larger theme throughout all of Luke of reversal. Right? It's, it is all over the place in Luke's account of the gospel. Right? So if you remember uh, a couple months ago, I gave a sermon during Advent, and we were looking at the Magnificat, which is Mary's song, right? and how it was related to Hannah's song. And the major theme there was the humbling of the exalted and the exalting of the humble. Right? And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now, all gener from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. Right? In Luke's Beatitudes, it was the same thing. It's from Luke 6. Blessed are the poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Right? As you can see, it's been all over the place up to this point in Luke, but this isn't the last time right, that we're going to see this theme, and it's, it's not even the last time that Jesus uses this exact phrase. He actually uses the same phrase uh, to explain a later parable in Luke 18. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, 
would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified, rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right, and this is just a sample, right? There's more passages in the same vein, just in Luke, and that is not mentioning the whole rest of the Bible, right? First Samuel, which we covered Hannah's song, and plenty of other places. But if you think about this theme, this theme of reversal, it is completely counter to our culture, right? It's counter to the way that we live our lives. And I don't really just mean the culture at large, right? Or like American culture or Seattle culture. I mean, even us here at the Hallows, right? A lot of us here are really right at home. I mean, trying to climb the corporate ladders, right? Networking and chasing promotions, trying to pursue successful careers. A lot of us are caught up in self-promotion and social media, right? I'm not trying to say that we all need to go and try and get ourselves demoted. That's not the point. What I am saying is that Jesus says those who get exalted aren't like that. Right? That he or she right, isn't necessarily going to be the one on stage with a microphone or the one with a lot of followers on social media. Right? It's going to be the one doing the dirty work gladly and not even wanting to be noticed doing it, not needing a thank you. Right? We might not live in an honor-shame culture, right? but it doesn't mean that we've stopped self-exalting ourselves. Right? And that's something for us to really think about, to think, to see if the Holy Spirit wants to convict you of some way that you're exalting yourself. So that's the first section. It's thinking about how we get honor, right? But if you were to read this alone, out of context, you might come to the conclusion that Jesus is just giving us good advice for how to navigate social situations, right? But of course, that's not, not where it ends, right? Jesus has something a lot bigger in mind, right? And so as we turn to the second half of our passage, the parable to the host, here we see a different question coming into focus, right? or I guess the second half of our earlier question. Not how, but when do you get repaid? So, picking up in verse 12. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, some ground clearing. There's a command here to not invite friends and family over for dinner. That sounds pretty extreme, right? <laughs> right? Should we take this hyper-literally? Is Thanksgiving dinner a sin, right? <laughs> Is it? No, no, okay? You can have your friends over, you can have your family over, it's just fine. So Jesus, he calls his disciples his friends, and he eats dinner with them. Hey, there you go, right? This isn't a command to neglect basic hospitality, right? And that's the way it's been understood for a long time. I'm not going out on a limb saying not to take that too literally, right? There's a guy, Cyril of Alexandria, and he speaks in the late 300s. And he, you know, he wrote a commentary on Luke, 
And he says this about this passage. Is it his, is that Jesus's will, that we be unsociable and unloving, so as not even to deem our friends and relatives worthy of that affection which especially is fitting and due to them? Does he forbid the right of hospitality? How is it not absurd and ignorant to imagine that he contradicts his own laws? So what then does he wish to teach? Something perhaps like what follows. Those who possess a great store of wealth make much account of constant extravagant displays. For oftentimes they bring men to banquet with them and make entertainment at vast cost. And this is their custom in order to gain the praises and applause of their guests. And in receiving the praises of their flatterers as the wages of their extravagance, they rejoice greatly as though they had gained something of value. For it is the habit of flatterers to praise even those things which deserve blame. All right, so Cyril understands that Jesus is taking aim at banquets and dinners, which are social events designed to bring honor and status through these extravagant displays of wealth. Right? And then the expectation from the host is that they're going to receive honor in the eyes of the community. Right? And they're going to receive repayment through return invites to dinner and through these social connections. Right? And they're going to get invited back to other prominent banquets. So this isn't just a normal dinner. It's not Thanksgiving dinner. Right? It's something probably a lot closer to like a corporate networking event or like a sales dinner, except the host isn't trying to um, sell you something. He's just trying to advance himself in society. So like maybe he's trying to sell himself. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, so with that background in mind, what Jesus says about inviting the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, it makes sense because none of those people are going to throw a return banquet. Right? You're not going to be repaid with honor or return invites right, from people who are literally begging for food. Right? And yet Jesus isn't saying that it's impossible or ineffective to gain honor or status through banquets. Right? Like it works. He admits you can get repaid right? if you invite your friends and your family over or your rich neighbor. You can get repaid through a return invite. Right? But what Jesus is saying is that the best blessing comes when you invite people who cannot repay you because then you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so here we see something about the nature and the timing of the repayment. It comes from God. It's in his kingdom and in the resurrection, right? So Jesus is encouraging his listeners to live a life that's awaiting vindication from God in his kingdom, right? And the way that he tells us to live that life is through generosity to the poor and the hurting and the vulnerable. Right? And this is exactly how he was understood. Again, from Cyril of Alexandria in the 300s. The lesson, therefore, which he teaches us is love for the poor, which is a precious thing in the sight of God. Do you feel pleasure in being praised when you have any friends or relatives feasting with you? I tell you of something far better. The angel shall praise your bounty and holy men as well. And he too shall accept it who transcends all and who loves mercy and is kind. Lend to him fearing nothing and you shall receive with interest whatever you gave. For it says, he who has pity on the poor lends unto God. And that's Proverbs 19.17. He acknowledges the loan and promises repayment. For when the Son of Man shall come 
in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels, and shall sit upon the throne of his glory. He shall set the sheep upon his right hand and the goats upon his left, and he shall say to them on his right, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you covered me, sick and you visited me, in prison and you came unto me. And to this he added, Truly I say unto you that whatever you have done to one of these little ones, you have done to me. So that's Matthew 25. The outlay, therefore, is not unfruitful. Rather shall compassion upon the poor make your wealth breathe forth a sweet savor. Purchase the grace that comes from God. Buy for your friend the Lord of heaven and earth. For truly we oftentimes purchase men's friendship with large sums of gold because of the honor which accrues to us from them. And yet these things are but transitory and quickly fade away and are like the fantasies of dreams. All right, so Cyril literally tells us to buy God's favor by taking care of the poor. Like it's so, he's so blunt about it, it like kind of makes me uncomfortable, right? But is he right? Like, is this a faithful understanding of scripture? Or is this some sort of like early prosperity gospel? Well, it's not the prosperity gospel, right? Because he's not talking about seeking repayment now, right? Jesus says the repayment is in the kingdom to come, in the resurrection of the righteous, Right? And this repayment is not going to look like some sort of extreme worldliness, right? It's not going to look like fancy cars or nice clothes or jewelry, right? And like, I'm not aiming, like, I'm going to aim at myself here. It's not going to look like a, like a hip techno paradise where you get all the sweet specialty gear that you could ever want, right? It's, it's not going to look like influencer life, right? It's not going to look like bank statement with lots of zeros or a nice house in a good neighborhood around here. Um, I can't honestly tell you what exactly it's going to be like, right? But when Jesus comes and he makes all things new and he sets everything right, um, I'm confident that Cyril's right, that Jesus is going to repay with interest, right? This understanding of the text, right, it explains some details in the first half too, right? There's this key moment in the first half where the, the, the host returns and the host judges who's going to be distinguished, right? Who is going to be demoted and who is going to uh, be lifted up to sit higher, right? So even though each of these sections is describing a little bit of a different scenario, they're getting at the same real situation, which is the resurrection and the day of judgment where God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted and he sets everything right. And the next parable, right, which is for next week, it's all about this large banquet that some people decide not to show up to because they're too busy with worldly things, right? So you can get so preoccupied with getting repaid with goods and status now that you leave yourself out of the life to come because you have spurned the invitation, all right? So remember our question, when do you get repaid? What's the answer? The answer is in the resurrection. Yeah. So before we wrap up, wrap up today, there's one big point I want to emphasize. Right? So for us, as Americans, mostly speaking English, when we use the word humble, the first thing that comes to mind is a mental state. Right? And we might have different nuances in mind about what that mental state entails, 
right? You could be saying like, oh, it's thinking less of yourself, right? Or it could be thinking of yourself less, right? And in Luke 18, which you read earlier, right, that parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple, we actually see some of this, that our thoughts and our attitudes before God matter. But in our passage today, what is it that really characterizes the humility that Jesus calls us to? Is it a mental state? Is it how you think? Or is it action? Right? In the first parable, Jesus doesn't tell them to think of themselves as the lowest honor. And he doesn't tell them not to think about honor at all. But rather, he tells them, go and sit in the lowest place. And in the next parable, he doesn't tell them to think of themselves as poor. He tells them to actually go and invite the poor. You know, bring them into your home, give them food, socialize with them, right? When they're never going to be able to pay you back. So the humility that Christ calls us to isn't just about this state of mind, but it's enacted. Humbling yourself is something that you do, right? It's not just how you feel about yourself, how you think about yourself. Which means that we can all sit here, you, know, you can sit there and you can nod your head at the sermon like, oh, yeah, I agree, that sounds good, Corey. Right? You can intellectually assent to every single word I'm saying, but if you actually fail to go do anything, you're not really humbling yourself. Right? You can think that you're the worst person in the world and be depressed about yourself, but if you don't actually repent and you don't do anything with that emotion, then you haven't actually humbled yourself. Right? And we see this reflected in Jesus himself. Like Jesus knows that he's God, right? He accepts praise and worship when it's offered to him, right? He says, the stones would cry out if praise wasn't given to me, right? But he's humble in what he does. Remember what we read in Philippians 2, the beginning. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Right? Jesus' humility wasn't merely thinking lowly of himself. Oh, I'm just the second person of the Trinity. I'm not the first person. I'm lower. I'm secondary. No. His humility was made manifest in obedience in his suffering and his death on our behalf. Right? And it was for that reason that he was exalted. And in today's passage, Jesus calls us to the same life of humility that he himself lived. Right? He calls us to a humility that manifests in obedience. And in this passage and throughout Luke, it's particularly, particularly obedience in the way that we reach out to and interact with the poor and the hurting, even if it means temporary humiliation. And his promise is that he will repay those who are faithful to him in this regard. Right? So getting really practical. Every Wednesday night here at Hallows, there's a community dinner. You can come. You can meet people. Right? You can share your time and your food with them. And some of the people there, you know, they need the food. And if that doesn't work for your schedule, you're, free, you're not free on Wednesday nights, that's fine. There's a small team of folks here who work with people on the street, right? Who could use your help and who can't repay you, right? 
It's a small team. could be bigger. There's also Christian organizations, like the UGM, the Union Gospel Mission, right? They have programs you could support, you could help, right? Or you could just set aside your own money, and then you can give it to people in need instead of walking past them. There's a lot of ways that you can practically, faithfully humble yourself, as Christ advises us to, right? You can do it with your MC, you could do it with your family, or you could do it privately, so that nobody knows except you and the Lord. All right. At last, after all of this, just as Jesus was at a banquet with Pharisees, we today are going to partake of a banquet together, right? And it's a banquet where we eat Christ's body and we drink his blood, right? Body and blood, which is given through us through his humble obedience to a death that was seen as shameful and humiliating, but which led to his triumphant exaltation a week from now on Easter. And while we can't repay him through the life that he gives us in the spirit, we can follow him. We can walk that same path of humble obedience and die to ourselves and wait for the resurrection and the exaltation to come. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your humility, your humble sacrifice that you came uh, that you were publicly shamed uh, beaten bruised killed on a cross we thank you for your humble entrance into jerusalem the humble life that you lived and the example that it is to us as well we pray that by your spirit um, we too would live lives of humility god that we would put our faith in you and that would manifest in obedience just as you were obedient to the Father. I pray that we would too. Right? I'd help our repentance be real. Um, that let us, let us lend to you with our time and our money, giving to the poor um, that you care about. God, because just as you care about the poor, uh, let, us, um, let us do likewise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.